This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Alcohol took my uncle and my grandmother suffered with Alzheimer's. My dad's dad died when he was 12. My mom endured breast cancer. And in 2021, I contracted COVID pneumonia and spent 14 days in the hospital and six days in the ICU. And today, I have scar tissue in my lungs. I've suffered. But we have suffered. I'm not the only one that suffered. You, you have suffered. It's, it's easy when we thought, talk about suffering It's easy for us to just uh, immediately dismiss our suffering and categorize things like genocide and starvation. Now that's suffering. And sometimes it's hard for us to actually acknowledge what we've gone through is suffering because we think, well, no, no, that's, that's suffering. But we suffer in all kinds of ways, don't we? We suffer physically, we suffer relationally, we suffer emotionally. There's all kinds of sufferings that we endure. We experience death and disabilities and disease and divorce and betrayal and injustices and loneliness and neglect. We're lied to, we're misunderstood. Some of us are persecuted, we're made fun of, we're rejected. You know, God has a lot to say about suffering in the sacred scriptures. We're we're in a sermon series called Eight, where we're studying the chapter eight in the book of Romans. So here's a little outline so you can kind of understand where this chapter eight uh, is found in the flow of Romans. In chapter one, Paul begins to introduce the gospel. And in chapters one through three, he explains that God has actually revealed himself to everyone and everyone has rejected God. Indeed, in the wickedness of our own hearts, we've suppressed the truth that God has revealed to us. And then in chapters three through five, Paul begins to explain God's saving righteousness through Jesus Christ. And in chapters six through seven, he begins to deal with objections to the faith. And then in Romans chapter eight, this great chapter we're studying, that we're just calling this sermon series eight, Because in this great chapter, Paul teaches us about the transformation and the hope that's found in the Holy Spirit. The transformation and hope that the gospel brings through our, into our life through the Holy Spirit. And then as you would imagine, the most logical flow after Paul has explained the gospel and he's explained the richness and the wonderful transformation that the Holy Spirit brings in the children of God, Paul sends us out on mission. He's like, don't keep this to yourself. Take it out to the world, right? And he talks in in Romans uh, 9 through 11, he begins to send out the people of God. Chapters 12 through 15, instructions for Christians living, and then chapter 16, closing thoughts and benedictions. So right in the middle of the book of Romans, we find the chapter that we're studying with a focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls through the gospel. 
And, and we see that Paul here in Romans 8 has some very specific things to say about suffering. So I want you to follow along with, with me in Romans 8, picking up in verse 17, as we'll read through 25 together. Romans chapter 8, picking up in verse 17. The apostle Paul wrote to the Christians at Rome, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and if children, then heirs. Let me just pause there and just say, Paul's writing about... What, what the Holy Spirit gives us and what he makes us, he makes us children and he makes us heirs. If you wanna hear, we taught about this uh, in, in the previous week. So he says, and if children, verse 17, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray together. Father, we pray, speak to us personally, powerfully, by your spirit, through your sacred scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 17 is a little bit of a hinge that leads us into verse 18. And verse 17 tells us here, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. And what that means is, is that everything, all the inheritance that Jesus is receiving from the Father, like all that God owns is gonna be ours. And what's our response to that? Yes, yes. Last week, we talked about John D. Rockefeller Sr. leaving John D. Rockefeller Jr. like this inheritance that he, he just had billions and billions. And, and what we understand as children of God is it's all ours. The father is, is leaving us, his heirs. <laughs> He's entrusting all of it to us. It's coming for us. The, the whole inheritance. So we say, yes, but look at the little phrase in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. So our response to that is like, whoa. <laughs> heirs of God, yes, provided we suffer with him. Whoa. It's like, is that, is that a trick? <laughs> is, that, is that a trick, Paul? Look at the rest of it in order that we may also be glorified with him. Hmm, right? You know, that's what scripture does to us. It just, it's like, yes, whoa. Hmm, I gotta, I gotta think about this. I gotta think about this. And what we see, look down in verse 25 so we can see and understand the whole point of what, what, of what Paul is saying. He says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So here's the message this morning is that God wants to empower us by his spirit to patiently endure suffering, to patiently endure it waiting. Um, 
if we're, if we're honest this morning, um, that's not the immediate way that we respond, right? This, this pattern that's woven into all of creation, as we think about well, like, why suffering, why does this have to happen? We see this pattern woven in God's economy. Suffering comes before glorification. Death comes before resurrection. Every farmer knows tilling the soil and planting the seed comes before harvest. Indeed, the secular world in which we live in know this principle that's been woven into the reality of life. You can say it with me as the world says, no pain. So there's this reality here. So what, why, why endure suffering? When we endure suffering with patience, when we patiently endure it, when we wait for what God is going to reveal to us, when we wait in the midst of suffering, we're proving that we belong to God. Have you ever been frustrated being on a website and it, it asks you to prove that you're not a robot? <laughs> you're like, I haven't seen a robot all week. And you want me to prove I'm not a robot, right? I mean, I think we understand, okay, like, you know, like there's these little bots that people create, right, that try to hack in and get our password and all this. But have you ever like had to pick all the pictures of the bicycles? Do you know what I'm talking about? To prove that you are who you say you are and to prove that you're not a robot. Or you had to pick all the pictures of like the red lights. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Come on, wake up 10 o'clock, you with me? All right, so you gotta click on those things. Why are you doing that? To prove that you're not a robot. Listen, our baptism announces to the world that we belong to God but our willingness to endure suffering confirms that we belong to God. In other words, if you just throw in the towel on your faith when suffering comes, it's actually confirming you don't belong to God. An unwillingness to endure suffering causes your baptism to just be a dip in the pool or a bath in front of everybody. But it's indeed not a baptism. We look back at verse 17 with me. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. In other words, it's our suffering that proves we're not a spiritual robot, but a real child of God. That we really belong to God. That the spirit of God really does dwell in us. That the spirit of God lives in us. So your confirmation that you belong to God is not that you walked an aisle. Your confirmation that you belong to God is not a prayer that you prayed. It's not a class that you attended. It's not a camp that you experienced. It's not a mission trip that you went on. It's not a baptism that you experienced. Confirmation that you and I belong to God is, 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 is found in being empowered by the Holy Spirit to patiently endure Suffering. As we understand what the scripture says, we conclude things like this. Suffering is not an obstacle to avoid, but it's a vessel that carries us home. So I'm titling the sermon this morning, A Ship Called Suffering. A Ship Called Suffering. And in our text this morning, uh, we're gonna see five ways to wait with patience while enduring suffering. It, it would be a lot better if, um, if we could hear this text preached from a 70-year-old. <laughs> because when a, when a 70-year-old man opens up the text of Scripture and begins to speak about suffering, it comes with a, a flavor. It comes with a, a weight of wisdom. It comes with a, a sense of experience that just rings truer and strikes a little deeper and feels a little more right. 
Um, what, what do you think we do this again in 20 years? <laughs> I'll be 65, you'll be however old you are. The, the, the challenge to waiting patiently when we suffer is that we respond to suffering in all kinds of ways, don't we? We get angry, right? I mean, for crying out loud, we get angry when people are driving in the left-hand lane on 24, right? And that's not suffering. I mean, some of you might argue that it is, but really not, right? Like, and we just get angry when they drive in the wrong lane and go five miles under the speed limit, right? So when real suffering hits us, oftentimes our response is just to get angry and that doesn't do anybody any good, namely you. When our response to suffering is anger, it, it only makes our suffering worse. We respond by trying to take things into our own hands. Um, we, we try to take things into our own hands by, by fixing the problem or eliminating the pain. That's what we often do, isn't it? We just insert ourselves in and John the Baptist said, less of me and more of Jesus. But we, when we're suffering, we're like, no, more of me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna fix this and I'm gonna eliminate this, this, this pain. Sometimes we try to eliminate it through substances of all kind, losing ourselves in work or relationships or... We try to fix the problem or eliminate the pain by inserting ourselves in. And perhaps most sadly of all, sometimes we give up. When suffering comes, sometimes we, sometimes we, 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 we give up. We give up on God. We give up on our faith. We give up on church. We give up on people. Sometimes we, sometimes we give up on, on life. We give up, we give up on, on life. And God gives us a better way to navigate suffering. And we'll see five ways in the text here this morning of how we navigate suffering. Would you look at it with me? The first way we see is to consider the glory to be received greater than the suffering that we endure. Look at verse 18 with me. Paul said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Look at that verse again with me. Look at it. For I consider. What it, what, Paul was making an intellectual decision. Paul was concluding something. And he said, I'm considering this a fact. Write it down. Here's a fact. The glory that's coming doesn't compare to the suffering of this present time. Now, here's where, here's where we get tripped up in suffering is that our temptation is to compare our sufferings to other people. And the reality is, is we can always kind of look to a third world country or down the road and find somebody that's suffering more than us. And what happens is, listen, what happens is, is we, try to, we try to compare our suffering to somebody else and certainly it might give us perspective, but there's nothing about comparing your suffering to someone else's suffering that diminishes or dissolves the pain that you are experiencing. So you might have a different perspective, but the reality is, is you are still suffering even when you try to compare your suffering to someone else. You're still experiencing it, so comparing your suffering to somebody else's actually makes it worse because now you're like, okay, look, my suffering is not really like capital S suffering. It's like lowercase s suffering. Like their suffering is capital S suffering, right? So when you compare, what, what happens is you end up in your own mind 
diminishing the worthiness of God caring about your suffering or anybody else caring about it. So when you compare your suffering to somebody else's, you end up suffering worse because now you're suffering alone. Thinking that it's wrong to even acknowledge it. Paul's full on acknowledging it. Paul's like, suffering. You, me, them, us, all of us. Suffering. And I consider the glory that's coming does not compare to the suffering that I'm experiencing. So how, how does this comparison work out? Like, how, how, does, this, how does this work out? Well, he, he gives us a clue in the text, and he says, for I consider that the sufferings of what? This present time. You know what, you know what James says about this, this, this present time? It's like a vapor. It's gone. It's here, it's here one moment, and it's gone. So when we compare the glory that's coming with the sufferings of this present time, one of the ways we compare it is, is okay, this present time is temporary and the suffering that's coming is forever. Or rather, the, the glory that's coming is forever. The suffering is temporary, the glory that's coming will not end. It won't even break for a commercial. <laughs> it's just going on and on and on, and because God is an eternal God, check this out, because God is an eternal God and he has set eternity in our hearts, the Bible says, we will now have the capacity and the experience for our joy to ever eternally increase in the infinitely eternally joyous God. I know that was a lot, but I just want you to get this this morning, because why? Because suffering is real. And the only way, the only way we're gonna navigate suffering is if we consider the glory that's coming to be incomparable to what we're going through. That's what Paul says. I don't even, I don't, you can't even compare it, Paul says. You can't compare it. It, it, it does not even compare. And he starts by saying, because this is temporary and that's for, that's for forever. So how do we navigate suffering? He says, first, consider the glory that's coming. I meant to bring a book this morning um, titled Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's a great book. It just walks through the scriptures and unpacks the glory of heaven. And one of the ways that we consider the glory that's coming to be greater than the temporary suffering that we're experiencing is by fixing our mind on what's coming. The Apostle Paul in Colossians, he says, set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. And so when we set our mind on things above, about what's coming, heaven, we don't like to do that. We like to make this little earth as comfortable as we can and we like to make it home, but it's not home. We are not home. It's impossible to get comfortable here and we work so hard to get comfortable, but Paul says, you can't get comfortable here. You must consider the glory that's coming to be greater than the suffering here. Set your mind on things above. The whole saying goes is he's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. No, 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 no. You're too earthly minded, right, to be any heavenly good, right? It's like, no, we gotta get our mind fixed upon ultimate reality and ultimate rea reality is that, is, is that Jesus is gonna come and take his children home to eternally always increasing joy. It's good stuff, isn't it? So don't compare your suffering to someone else's suffering, but compare your suffering to the glory that's coming. How do we wait with patience while enduring suffering? Second, we long for the reveal. 
long for the reveal. Look at verses 19 through 21 with me. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to the corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God knew we would suffer and he spoke into our suffering to help us to navigate it. And here in verse 19, he says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of sons of God. Do you guys like baby reveals? <laughs> I'm so glad that like we didn't have our kids during like the baby reveal phenomenon. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? Like the baby, they're so hilarious because they often go bad, you know? It's like, how many times have you seen the husband toss like a ball filled with pink or blue dust, you know, or a wife toss the ball to her husband and he's standing there with a bat and he's supposed to swing and hit it and sometimes he just watches it go by, poof, it falls on the ground, right? It was supposed to be this great celebration where dust is flying everywhere and everybody goes, it's a boy, right? It's a girl and he watches it go by, you know? Or it's, you know, even worse, like he actually swings at it and he misses, you know, have you seen those reveals? I talked to a couple uh, just a couple weeks ago. They have three boys, real lifers, and they're expecting their fourth. And um, this time, they're not gonna find out the gender of the baby. They're just gonna wait for the reveal. And the reveal's not gonna be like flying dust. It's gonna be a screaming baby on the day that the baby is born. It's It's gonna be a baby reveal moment. And they're gonna wait until that day and you know, it's interesting, isn't it? When, when people are waiting for the reveal of a baby, they're, what are they doing? They're talking about it, right? You get around them and do you know, are you having a boy? Do you know, are you gonna find out, right? Like, you know, like when do you find out? When do you go to the doctor, right? Are you gonna do a baby reveal? Are you doing, are you doing like smoke? Are you doing the, the, you know, are you tossing a ball? Like, how are you revealing, right? You're talking about it. You're, you're prepping for it. You send out invitations, right? You're sending out an invitation. You're inviting people to your baby reveal, there's preparations, you're talking about it. So how, how do you and I, when we are suffering, long for the reveal? We talk about it. We talk about it. We make preparations for it. Look at the text with me again. Verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, what we are going to become is not yet seen. Something is coming, something better is coming. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. What does that mean? Well, that means when Adam chose to sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, death came into the world in humanity, but chaos came into all of creation. So when you look at the world today and you, and you, you look at things like, like like earthquakes and like tsunamis and you just see a world that seems to be in chaos, it's because God subjected it to futility as part of the curse of sin. But look at the phrase in verse 20, for God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In in other words, God did not send the earth into chaos as the result of sin with no hope. The curse of sin 
came as chaos in all of creation with the promise that that God will one day reconcile all things to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is not only restoring our relationship to God, but when Jesus comes again, he's he's gonna bring a new heavens, a new earth, and, and a whole new humanity, a whole new creation that's not in chaos, but that is in perfect order. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What's that gonna be like? And listen, if you feel like the chaos that you experience is bondage to corruption, that's exactly how Paul describes it. Bondage to corruption. So so here we see long with the creation for the reveal. It's coming. It's coming. And look at this phrase in verse 21. To obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The sufferings of this world are so painful. They're so confusing. They're so heartbreaking. They seem so needless. They hang around longer, seemingly purposelessness. It just seems like, why? Why? And church, I don't know why, but I do want to say freedom of the glory of the children of God is coming. It's coming. So how do I navigate suffering? Long for the reveal. Talk about it. Prepare for it. Thirdly, groan. Groan. For some of you, this may sound really impractical, but it might be the most practical thing you've ever heard me say. How do we navigate suffering? We groan. What do you mean groan? I mean you express the deepest pain from the deepest place to God with no words. That's what it means to groan. You express your deepest pain from the deepest place to God with no words. That's what it means to groan. Look at the text with me, verses 22 through 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Wives, don't you just get furious when husbands make those jokes about stepping on a Lego as like childbirth? No? Okay, we'll keep rocking that joke. All right. Stepping on a Lego, it's like childbirth, right? No. (laughs) Not even close. I mean, childbirth, like how do you even describe how painful childbirth is? Well, Paul uses it as a picture to describe the groaning that we feel in this world. It must stop! That's what childbirth feels, isn't it? Ladies, can I get a testimony? It must end! Today, we're having this baby today! For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I I think perhaps one of the reasons that women 
so bravely endure the pain of childbirth is that they know it's coming to an end. They know if they hang on just a little longer, a baby's coming. They know if they don't give up life, life is coming. An unspeakable joy, I'm gonna gonna hold an unspeakable joy in my hands if I continue to endure this pain of childbirth. Paul intentionally uses this image to say, life is coming, freedom is coming. The glory of the revealing of the children of God, it's coming, so don't give up. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, he makes it personal, who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Pastor, I thought you told us last week we were already adopted. We are, but the goodness of your adoption is not revealed yet. The best part of your adoption hasn't even come yet. There's more that's coming. Adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Every pain, every frustration, everything that makes you sad about your body and in your body, it's coming to an end. And your body will be redeemed. When Jesus comes again, you will receive a glorified body that will never be susceptible to any pain, any disease, anything. That's why the book of Revelation says he will wipe away every tear from your eye. You will never have a sad day. You will never have a sad month. You will never have a sad moment when Jesus comes again. The redemption of our bodies. We will be made whole. The fulfillment of God's promise will come and it won't just come to our souls. It will come from the top of our head to the bottom of our toes. Our whole body will be redeemed and made perfect and whole and healthy forever. Thank you, God. So what do we do? We groan. We express without words our deepest pain from the deepest place. Kids are so good at groaning, aren't they? (laughs) Kids are awesome at groaning, aren't they? They're engaging in their perceived pain. And from the deepest place of who they are. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) They're so good at groaning. And though you and I may not perceive that their groaning is justified, they're good at it. And we need to become like children and get good at groaning. Kids are so free to groan because they know mom and dad are listening. And they think that their groaning is gonna get mom and dad's attention. And they believe that mom and dad are gonna do something about their groaning. And perhaps adults are so bad at groaning because we don't think dad is listening. And perhaps because we don't trust that dad's gonna meet us in our moment of pain. And so may God give us the grace today to become like children, willing to groan from the deepest place about the deepest pain with no words to our Father who cares more than we imagine, who's willing to step into our pain and walk with us and counsel us and comfort us and convict us. Because groaning can easily turn to grumbling, right? Groaning can easily turn to grumbling. We're in our pain, we're groaning to God, but we quit groaning to God and we just grumble with everybody else. 
Perhaps one of the reasons you're grumbling so much in your family, perhaps one of the reasons you're grumbling so much in your marriage, perhaps one of the reasons you're grumbling so much in your mind, just grumbling, is because you're not groaning. And maybe you just need to... with nothing but tears in the presence of your dad who sees and hears and wants to hear. It's amazing how if we groan, it eliminates the grumble. I don't entirely know how that works. But if we groan long enough and we keep it real in the presence of God, He hears our groaning and he softens and quiets our grumbling. We consider glory greater than the suffering. We long for the reveal. We groan. And finally, we hope. If we we groaned without hope, that groaning would be useless, wouldn't it? If we groaned without hope, that groaning would just be darkness. If we groaned without hope, we would be left depressed every day. And that's all that we would experience. What is hope? Look at verse 24 through 25 with me. For in this hope, this hope that we're gonna get the redemption of our bodies, in this hope, we were saved. A relationship with God is similar to a marriage. When you enter into a marriage, you have no idea what it's gonna both demand of you and you have no idea how it's gonna bless you. Newlyweds, premarital counseling, you just, I mean like, it, it's, almost, it's almost like premarital counseling is like, uh, it's like, why are we doing this? Why, why are we doing this? Like, I, there's nothing I can say to convey to you all that this relationship is gonna demand of you. You know, like, okay, we're done. And there's nothing that I can say that, It's gonna show you how much this relationship is gonna bless you. And so it is with our relationship with God. When we enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, we have no idea what God is gonna demand of us. It's like you can't read all the fine print. He can't like, he's unwilling to unfold the whole story and say, here's what I'm gonna demand of you in your 20s, and here's what I'm gonna demand of you in your 30s, and here's what I'm gonna demand of you in your 40s, and here's what I'm gonna demand, no. But it's also impossible for us to calculate and for us to measure how much he's gonna bless us through our relationship with him. But when we are saved, we are saved with the promise of God that this world is as close to hell as we're gonna get. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. What does that mean? That means when you're going through pain and you insert yourself and you take things, matters into your own hands and you fix the pain. Hallelujah, I love you church. I don't want you to experience pain. I don't want you, I don't want you to experience suffering. But when you fix it and you can kind of hold it and have it, hope is no longer present because you have it. You have it. Hope's not seen. Look at it with me, verse 24 again. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes 
for what he sees. In other words, when God in his grace removes your temporary suffering in this world, he, he comforts you and he removes the circumstances that are causing the pain. Hope is no longer, hope is no longer needed because you have what you are longing for. Hope is not seen. For if, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What is hope? Hope is being sure with an expectation that what God purposes, he will accomplish. Hope is, is having the confident surety that what God is purposing to do, he will accomplish. With the darkest, the most sorrowful backdrop, hope shines the brightest. For those that suffer the most on this earth and they don't throw in the towel on their faith and they continue to hope, oh, how beautiful, what a testimony to the world it is. Oh, how compelling it is for the lost world to see a child of God suffering so terribly yet not letting go of hope. Their confident expectation that God is gonna fulfill his purpose. Mm. And they wait for it with patience. So waiting, is, waiting with patience is not this um, worrisome, reactive, kind of passive waiting. That's not the biblical vision of waiting. W waiting is stepping into today with hope. Saying things like what Paul said in Philippians 1. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. I'm hurting, it's confusing, it's heartbreaking, it's lingering longer, I don't have answers, but I have hope that he's gonna complete the work that he has started in. Aren't you glad that God is so relevant that he inspired Paul to write about suffering? He's not thrown us in the deep end without a, without a, a raft, without a float. He's taken tender, intentional, meticulous attention to give his children specific, clear instruction and guidance about suffering. Thank you, God. Lastly, we remember Jesus' suffering. We remember Jesus' suffering. We wait patiently, which means we step in and we proactively live for the Lord. We don't sit back and wait. We don't push pause on life as we wait. We actually kick it in sixth gear and say, no, I'm gonna live my life for the glory of God. That's how I wait for him is I'm gonna live for his glory. And I'm gonna do this by remembering Jesus' sufferings. Jesus suffered horrifically, didn't he? He was misunderstood as a child. His parents did not understand. You remember that? Found him in the temple. Jesus, what are you doing? He's like, did you not know that I need to be about my father's business? I mean, from a child, Jesus was suffering. He grew up innocent of sin, went to the cross and experienced the greatest injustice ever as he hung on the cross for you and me, taking the wrath of God, though all he deserved was the blessing of God. And he took the wrath of God. He suffered. He suffered to the point of death. It, it wasn't a suffering that was let up, it was a suffering that killed him. He suffered all the way to death. What happened after that? <laughs> he rose. He, he rose. 
The seed and the ground that was tilled and planted, it, it gave a harvest. The, the, the spiritual birth pains of Jesus' suffering resulted in new life. In his death, he rose from the dead. So this morning, we're gonna come to the Lord's table, Holy Communion, and we're gonna remember Jesus' sufferings. Uh, turn over with me quickly to Philippians chapter three. Paul wanted to know the Lord Jesus. He wanted to know him. Paul looked at everything else that this world offered and he said, I count it all loss. I wanna know Jesus. I wanna know him better. I wanna know him intimately. Oh, I wanna know him. And in Philippians 3, we get just a little picture of Paul's passion to know Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. The, the beautiful part is when you suffer, you're not alone. You suffer with King Jesus. And one of the ways to navigate suffering is to remember his sufferings. So as I pray, I wanna invite those that are serving communion to come. And this morning, I just invite you, church, if you need to groan from the deepest place, the deepest pain with no words, do that. If you need to come and kneel at the altar, if you need to come and grab somebody by the hand and say, I'm hurting and I don't even know what to say to God. I don't, I don't even know what to say to God. I'm, I'm angry, I've tried to fix it myself. I'm on the verge of giving up, but I know that's not what God wants me to do. I know he wants me to hope and he wants me to, to groan and he wants me to look to heaven and consider the glory to be greater than the suffering. Oh church, what I hope we have. Church, I love you. I just wanna say, hang on. Just hang on. Don't give up. Hang on. The baby is coming. Hang on. Keep waiting. Keep enduring. Keep trusting. Keep obeying. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing promise to us of hope. Thank you, Lord, that um, there's so much more to come that we do not yet see. Thank you that we can ponder and imagine and dream of the good things to come and never scratch the surface. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you went to the cross for us, that you endured suffering unto death, that you rose victoriously, and your resurrection today gives us hope that we too will have a resurrection, the redemption of our bodies. So Lord, we bring our groans, and we thank you, God. We bring our hope. We bring our pain, and we bring our joy. We bring our suffering, and we bring our, our victories. We bring it all to the table today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, you come. When you're ready, you come. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.